So sometimes events erupt in the middle of the week that disrupt the natural flow of business here. Generally, we have a program in mind for the week's activities leading to Sunday worship, and then sometimes something happens that catches us up short, something that is so upfront in people's faces, so much in the news or so distressing that I must address it. Fact is, I'm all worked up over this. Those of you that receive my Faith Matters blog know where I'm headed here today. I want to state very clearly, as I did on Friday, that there is nothing remotely biblical or Christian about ripping children away from their mothers and fathers. As I said in my piece on Friday, I almost couldn't write about it given my sputtering anger over the use of scripture to defend the righteousness of the obscene policy at our borders. This surely violates the gospel of redemptive love. Remember that in early May, the U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced a zero-tolerance policy for persons attempting to migrate to the United States resulting in the de facto family separation. Children are immediately removed from their parents as they are apprehended crossing the border. And three days ago, he also announced a policy reversing protections for asylum seekers fleeing domestic abuse and gang violence. Neither threat of violence is now considered grounds for asylum. You have seen the pictures, you've heard the stories, and likely have read about the tent city being erected for the express purpose of warehousing children who have been taken from their parents. Sesson's use of scripture defending this policy should appall every thoughtful follower after the way Jesus blazed. And irony on ironies. The story broke just in time for Father's Day. Let's be reminded of other biblical texts, evidently that were not known to some of our federal officials, like this one from the prophet Isaiah, who, within the Christian tradition, helps define the titanium cord of justice linking us throughout human history to the present moment. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. And do we, friends, really have to recount the relentless messages pertaining to love of neighbor that resound on every, nearly every page of the gospel? Do we really need to recall that when asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus responded with the story of the Good Samaritan. Do we need to remember that calling children to himself, he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Page after page and verse after verse, story after story, our sacred texts reveal that what God requires of us. Do you remember what Micah said? to do justice, 
to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. Now, I'm going to give Attorney General Sessions the benefit of the doubt that he did not know how the passage he quoted has been used in the past. Here's what he repeated from the 13th chapter of Romans. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Sessions neglected to frame the context of that passage, however. In a few verses, just a few verses ahead, Paul wrote this. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. Well, you know, friends, that provides the powerful gospel corrective to unjust laws, doesn't it? But as Blaise Pascal once wrote, men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. But now, here, historically, the passage Sessions quoted out of context has been read as an unequivocal order for Christians to obey state authority no matter what. A reading that was often and relentlessly used to justify southern slavery in the United States, but also authoritarian rule in Nazi Germany and South African apartheid. In this latter case, Afrikaner theologians, pastors and politicians alike in South Africa all emphasized Paul's admonition that everyone must submit to the governing authorities as the central scripture concerning Christian relations to the state. Read through an Afrikaner's lens, theologians claimed in that supposed Christian nation that apartheid state was ordained by God and must be obeyed by all living in South Africa. And the same was true of Southern Christians defending the legitimacy of slavery and German Christians defending the authoritarian impulse of Adolf Hitler. History books are rife with examples on this point. They all use this verse out of context. Like most everyone else, Christians are susceptible to gross manipulation if it confirms their prejudices and suits their self-interest. Nothing like a Bible verse, I man, oh man, nothing like a Bible verse out of context to clobber one's enemies and defend one's tribe. That's why this incident hit me so hard into the solar plexus. Now, like I said, I'm giving the Attorney General the benefit of the doubt that he did not know how this pass, passage was used in the past. The problem in this case 
is that the biblical evidence for answering that fluffy question evangelicals like to ask, what would Jesus do, is so glaringly obvious when considering the fate of moms and dads and kids fleeing terrifying circumstances. What would Jesus do, friends? Now, of course, there isn't a straight line from gospel truth to secular law, but the gospel truth does provide an overarching framework for understanding our complicated place as citizens of two kingdoms, the kingdom of humanity and the kingdom of God. We don't use the word kingdom much anymore, but you understand its inherent meaning, God's realm, if you will. Jesus said God's kingdom was like the smallest seed in the world and when planted mysteriously and miraculously grew into a very large bush or tree. He clearly taught that citizenship in God's realm has ramifications for how we should conduct ourselves in the human realm how we should care for one another, how we should love our neighbors as ourselves, how every act of compassionate regard for others was like planting kingdom seeds everywhere we went. This does not mean, of course, that nations should not have secure borders and useful laws establishing appropriate boundaries among flawed humans. After all, we have laws precisely because we are flawed and self-centered, out for our own good. Good and just laws take the broadest view of human dignity and safety while providing the bounds and rules of the game. They create the case and advance the cause of the common good. And here we mean the common good for everyone. Unjust laws do the opposite. Stripping people of their dignity, their well-being, and sense of place in the world. Unjust laws stack the deck in favor of wealth and privilege. Unjust laws ramp up tribalistic tendencies, feeding on fear while creating scapegoats and less thans and all those dreaded others, whoever they might be. These sorts of laws, I tell you, must be challenged, confronted, and changed. And from the vantage point of God's realm, that's like planting kingdom seeds that will mysteriously and miraculously grow into mighty oaks of righteousness, a righteousness that is defined by Jesus' self-giving. Boy, that kind of a human is a beautiful thing to behold. An oak of righteousness. You may know that I've had my issues with the United Methodist denominational leadership in recent years over several issues. But on this matter, the church has been rock solid for decades. And it behooves me to commend the church when it so clearly and definitively defends the weakest among us. This week, the United Methodist Council of Bishops asked the government to stop the terrible policies at their southern border, tearing children away from parents who have made a dangerous journey to provide a safe and sufficient life for them is unnecessarily cruel 
and detrimental to the well-being of parents and children, they wrote. The United Methodist Women called for the Department of Justice to do the right by the immigrant children on our borders. Surely among the weakest and most vulnerable among us and immediately end the policy of separating children from their families. And providing a larger frame of reference, at the most recent General Conference resolutions were passed that advocated generosity and charity towards immigrants, making numerous references to scripture and noting that Christ started life as what? What was he? A refugee with his family fleeing to Egypt because why? They feared for their lives. They wanted to escape Herod's infanticide as the story is told. A family fleeing with children to save themselves. The resolution reads, throughout the history of the United States, the most recently arrived group of migrants has often been a target of racism, marginalization, and violence. We regret any and all violence committed against migrants in the past, and we resolve as followers of Jesus to work to eliminate racism and violence directed toward newly arriving migrants to the United States. That sounds rather prescient now, doesn't it? Written several years ago. Well, friends, that's the appropriate conclusion that arises from the totality of the scriptural witness. You can arrive at no other conclusion if you follow Jesus. We are meant to be working with God, sharing God's interest in justice and human dignity and compassionate regard for all of creation. I mean, that's right, isn't it? We're meant to be planters of seeds of the kingdom of God. On the day we receive new members, isn't it useful to hear what it's all about with facts on the ground, life as it is, with reality staring us squarely in the face? It helps define us, who we are, what we're about, where we're headed, what we value, what's most important, right? Doesn't it, doesn't it help us deeply? So though I am angry about this mess, I am deeply hopeful about us and about the liveliness and relevance of the message we bear. Can you not see that it really is what the world needs out there? A message of hope and gratitude for the life we have and for the possibility of sharing that hope and gratitude with anyone and everyone. It defines our purpose so clearly. And I am so deeply grateful that we have one another to hold accountable to this ideal. 
and to this call on our lives that each of us would grow into that which God has intended in the first place. And it means letting go of old stuff, stuff that holds us back and down, you know, all the stuff in the dark crevices of our lives that are filled with fear, hate, the tendency for enemy formation, all of that. Let's together commit that we're going to depart from here proclaiming a message of grace, peace, compassion, and love. Doesn't that, doesn't that assignment dignify your own life? Do you feel it? Do you feel it? God is good. Let's take that message out there, friends. The world needs it.